I presume that I will always be a child at heart. Whenever anything happens, I tend to think of Vacation Bible School songs. And this afternoon, driving back to the house, I thought about the song, One, Two, Three, The Devil's After Me, the way the song ends. Three, two, one, the devil's on the run. Hallelujah, hallelujah, I'm free. I thought about yesterday morning and uh, the Autumn Street Fair and how many of you came and worked, but you didn't just work. You got out there in the front and you greeted the people, you shook their hands, you gave them literature that will help save their soul, and uh, with a smile on your face, you represented the Lord's people well. Uh, among that group was a number of our young people. And uh, I thought the Lord's Church is blessed here because we've got such great young people who want to do good things. And then this morning, uh, Brother Sanders came from Memphis School of Preaching, did a tremendous job of preaching, uh, and even did more this afternoon in speaking to the kids at the Bible Bowl. His impression of the congregation here was... Very good, the fact that he believed that we were so welcoming and so uh, generous in our spirit. I thought that was wonderful. For those of you who didn't get to come to the Bible Bowl, we had 443 in this building this afternoon. We had six congregations that tied for first place. There's a lot of young people studying their Bible really hard because they want to do what's right. And I get to thinking, three, two, one, the devil's on the run. And I am impressed with so much good that's done. And it's coming a deluge outside, and you're here. So there's an opportunity for us to study together tonight. If you will, I'd like to talk to you tonight as one of my favorite Bible passages, one that you might not think would be a, a favorite, is Galatians chapter 4 and verse 16. And I want to begin by asking you, have you ever had to tell something to someone that they didn't want to hear? Sometimes you have to be the bearer of bad news. You have to tell people that what they are doing is not acceptable to God. Have you ever, when you did that, had a person become angry with you because of what you said? Now, the truth is, preachers face this frequently. I know many of you are good, godly folks, and you only want the truth preached. But the reality of the fact is not everybody loves the truth. And when you preach on morality and you preach about immodest dress, you preach about dancing, you preach about drinking, some people will immediately say, he's picking on me. Because I do those things. Well, if you do, shame on you. Because you ought not be doing them. Other people will pick on the preacher because he teaches what the Bible teaches on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And well, you're, what you're saying may condemn my son or my daughter or my sister or my brother. And I don't like you condemning what they Have I become your enemy? Well, tonight, what I want to do is to look at two things. I actually thought about expanding this into four or five, but I thought if I cover two things and cover it well, then that will be a part of the lesson that I wanted to deliver. 
I want us to look, first of all, at the passage in context. But you've got to see the verse itself. Paul says, Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? To look at this, you've got to look in the larger context of the book of Galatians. So open your Bibles there to Galatians. We're going to just do a very brief run-through of the whole book, and then we're going to focus our attention on chapter 4. Paul is really, as he faces this congregation here, is dealing with a congregation that's being infected by Judaism. That is the Old Testament doctrine that you follow the law of Moses, that you're circumcised, and there were people who were coming and preaching that as New Testament gospel. Let me, for instance, take you to chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who would trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches another gospel or any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. It's a modifying, perverted message that they were teaching. Specifically, you can tie this back to the book of Acts chapter 15 where there were some coming from Antioch saying, unless you keep the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. But it related to Judaism. And I want to emphasize that when you get to verses 13 and 14, Paul explains about himself, For you have heard from my former conduct in Judaism how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more zealous for the tradition of my fathers. There's a key. The traditions of the fathers. So Paul is dealing with Judaism infecting the church and changing the gospel. What this resulted was in the people being tricked. I don't like people tricking me. Even sometimes for fun I don't like it. Because it makes you look bad. Well look at him in chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. Oh foolish Galatians who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. And then he goes on to ask them, how did they get the Spirit? Was it by the works of faith or works of law or by the works or hearing of faith? You see, Paul understands there's some trickery that's gone on here. But the consequences... When you look at the message that was being promoted to them, it had some very serious impacts upon them. And here's the way he puts it in chapter 5. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again into a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become 
estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. If you abandon Jesus Christ as being the only means of your salvation, then you've fallen from grace. So you can see the big picture of the book of Galatians. But now, if you will, let's move to chapter 4. And let's focus in on this chapter and what we see within it. And you know, I love to see practical aspects within a passage. And this chapter is filled, if you look at it, with practical ideas. Some of the things that are to be found here are just so wonderful. The first thing is, he was fearful for them. Look at verse 11 of chapter 4. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Have you ever worried about somebody? You worried about their spiritual condition. You worried about the direction that their life is taking. Folks, I worry about folks like that a lot. I see people who ought to be in the services of the church, and they're not. I see people who are making bad choices. And, you know, I can see where a road, a pathway leads. And if they stay on it, they're going to be lost. So Paul is here beginning with this idea of being fearful. Number two, he wants them to see the importance of seeing both sides. You know, one of our problems in life is, for me and I think for you, is that when we are put in a position, we only see one side. That's our side. But listen as Paul speaks here in verse 12. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You've not injured me at all. Paul said, I want you to, to see it from my side. When you start asking the question, have I become your enemy because I have told you the truth? Folks, I want you to look at it for just a moment from the preacher's perspective. You know, I've got two choices. I can either teach it and preach it like it's found in the Bible, or I can soft soap it and make it easy and make it just where it all just feels so good and nobody's ever going to get upset. If I do that, I have disappointed God. And you have got to view it from my perspective that when you read passages like James chapter 3 and verse 1, Be not many of you teachers, knowing that we shall receive the stricter judgment. Do you realize that because I have chosen to do what I'm doing, God is going to hold me to a higher standard? So what if I decide I'm not going to teach on morality? What if I decide I'm going to avoid topics like marriage, divorce, and remarriage? What if I am going to not ever say anything that offends anybody? I offend God. And folks, that's very, very serious. Paul wants them to understand his perspective as well as he has seen their perspective. Number three, physical, and though it's not included in this context, Sometimes mental issues may affect a situation. Paul said in verses 13 and 14, You know that because a physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first. 
and my trial which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God or even as Christ Jesus. Paul talked about a physical problem, physical trial that was in his life. Do you realize that sometimes when you're dealing with people's difficulties, sometimes medical issues, and a lot of mental issues may come to play. And you have got to realize sometimes you've got to uh, do things in the right way. And I think Paul, as he addresses this, that's, that's one of the things I want to bring up. Number three, I want you to look at verse 15 where he talks about their past, and that ought to count for something. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Now folks, when you talk to people who are going, let me just say going, people who are doing things they ought not do, and they are going down a pathway which they ought not to be going down, they need to remember there's been a past the brethren from the churches of Galatia have had a past with Paul, in fact, a good one. The fact that they were willing, because of the physical problems, he said, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. The past counts for something. Now, what's sad when you read this, you drop, jump over to verse 16 for a moment and look at verses 17 and 18. They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. These people are courting them, and that's the word Paul uses. You think about a young man courting a young woman. What does he do when he's courting her? Well, he goes around, he opens the door for her. I notice Brother Ronald is still in his first year of marriage. He went around and did that today. That's still courting. Brings those flowers every once in a while. Guys will only write poetry when they're dating. You see, people will do things to try to endear themselves. Paul says they zealously court you, talking about these people who are Judaizing teachers, but for no good. They're not doing that because they really love you. They're doing that so that you will be excluded from the faithful and be zealous for them. You want me to tell you the truth when you're trying to tell somebody the truth about life, there's always going to be people out there who are going to say, oh, I wouldn't believe that. You need to listen to me, young man. You need to listen to me, young girl. If you, if you want to be happy in life, just, you know, make yourself happy. There's always people who want you to wallow in the same misery that they are in. And you see, Paul is trying to get the Galatians to understand why he is having to rebuke them. 
Now with that in mind, let me focus your attention for just a few moments on some parallel passages. Some other places in the Bible where this thought is found. Many good men have been despised for speaking the truth. Let me give you a few examples. Matthew chapter 5. You know, Jesus gave the Beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are men, or are you, when they shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see, tonight what I could do, I could line up the great prophets of the Old Testament and take them one by one and say, okay, what about this prophet? How was he treated? Did he say what needed to be said and why did he say it? Well, for just a moment, let me do that. I'm not going to do it, but just a couple or so. Let's go to the book of Jeremiah. He's one of my favorite Old Testament prophets. You go to Jeremiah chapter 20, and you're introduced to Jeremiah's situation. Now, Pasher, the son of Emmer, the priest who was also chief governor in the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things. Jeremiah speaking for God. Here's the guy who's the chief governor. He's, he's the guy who runs the temple, the house of the Lord. Then Pasher struck Jeremiah, the prophet, and put him in stocks which were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. Here's Jeremiah. He's been preaching. What are you going to do? You're going to put him in stocks, hang him out there, mock him, make fun of him. Keep going down to verses 7 through 10. O oh Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I and have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted violence and plunder. Because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Then I said, I'll not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire. Shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and could not. For I heard many mocking. Fear on every side. Report, they say, and we will report it. All my acquaintances have watched for my stumbling, saying perhaps he can be induced. Then we'll prevail against him and we'll take our revenge on him. Jeremiah is a man who loved his people. Go to Jeremiah 9.1. He's crying because of the condition of his people. How do they respond when he tells them the truth? They mock him. They belittle him. They put him in stocks. And he said, well, I'll quit preaching. You know what God said? No, you won't. I'm going to make you preach. And Jeremiah is struggling with it. You come to the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 4. And again, Jeremiah is the author here. He has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. He's talking about the way God has treated him in preaching the truth. 
verses 14 through 17, I have become the ridicule of all my people. Their taunting song all the day. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drink wormwood. He has covered my teeth with gravel, also broken my teeth with gravel, and covered me with ashes, and moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. Here are the words of a prophet who is trying to tell people the truth because he loves them. And he is being persecuted for it. Jeremiah's not the only one, though. If you go to 1 Kings 22, verse 8, and then verse 17, or 27, King Jehoshaphat was speaking to Ahab, and he says, So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There's still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imla, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say such things. You see, what was happening... Micaiah was telling the truth. But Ahab didn't like the truth. If he doesn't like the truth, what are you going to do with him? Drop down to verse 27 and say, Thus says the king, put this fellow in prison, feed him with the bread of affliction and the water of affliction until I come in peace. You put him in prison and you just give him a meager amount of food. That's what the bread of affliction was. Just give him a little bit of food, and a little bit of water. Don't let him have much. Just let him get by. First Kings chapter 18, verse 17. And it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel. But you and your father's house have, in that you've forsaken the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Verse 20 of chapter 21. So Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you because you sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Folks, sometimes when you go and you tell somebody the truth, they're going to hate you. They're going to despise everything you stand for. In Luke chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Remember good old John the Baptist? Boy, he was such a fine man. Jesus said, you know, he that is born of woman, you can't find one greater than John the Baptist. But what do you know about him? But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this, above all, that he shut up John in prison. You know what ended up happening to him while he was shut up in prison? Head was cut off. You know what caused that? He said, it's not lawful for you to have your brother Philip's wife. Telling the truth sometimes will cost you but you've got to do it. One to think carefully about your approach to the sinner. You know, I, I try to think about if I have to speak to someone and to try to tell them the truth, how am I going to do it? What am I going to say? How am I going to say it? Well, Galatians 6 and verse 1 has some instructions. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. 
considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Do you know what I would like to do sometimes? I'd like to just blister people. Y'all may not believe that, but I really would. Sometimes I would like to just come on strong and just say, How dare you? But that's not what we're told to do. You do it in a spirit of gentleness. Number two, when you go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26, And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance that they may know the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do their will, to do his will. You see, when I see words like able, apt to teach, I've got to think about that person's life, and I've got to take the scriptures, and I've got to find some way to teach them God's message on the subject. Number two, he says to be patient. By nature, I'm not a patient person. I, for instance, want things to happen yesterday. But do you know what the Bible teaches about patience? I think about Jezebel. I gave Jezebel space of time to repent. And she wills not to repent of her fornication. Space of time. I've got to be patient for people to have the opportunity to see the truth. He says, in humility correcting those who are in opposition. Being humble about it is such a key aspect. Nobody wants someone to correct them by saying, uh, by the way, you're not quite as smart as I am. You know, I don't make stupid mistakes like that. No, you are a person who says, you know, I, I could be tempted. Maybe I didn't go through the same difficulties you did. Maybe I didn't face the same trials and tribulations you did. But I want you to know the direction you're going is not going to work out good. He says, if perhaps God will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, maybe that something will take place so they can see the truth and they can escape the snare of the devil. Because, folks, here's the one who's responsible for all this. It's the devil. He's behind it all. He's the one who creates trouble in churches. He's the one that creates troubles in families. He's the one that creates troubles between friends. You lay it all at the feet of the devil. In 1 John 5, verse 16, he says, If anyone sees his brother sending a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him lie for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say you should pray about that. What he's saying is we need to be praying for people. I'm afraid a prayer life may not be as 
diligent, nor as often as it needs to be. But, folks, we pray for the sick. And rightly so. We want them restored to physical health. But we've got some spiritually sick folks. And we need to be going to God and asking God that they may see the truth. That they may come to their senses. That they may recognize what is right versus what is wrong. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 15. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Oh, See, Paul says, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? I don't need to treat you like an enemy. I need to treat you like somebody I love and I care about. When you preach the truth, let that person know that you love them, that you care about them, that you're praying for them. But we've got to tell the truth rather than placating. It does neither of us any good for me to tell you something that does not hold to God's will. Let's, very quickly, Proverbs 27, verse 5. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. I don't like to be told I'm wrong, but I know periodically I am. Don't like to be rebuked. I don't think any of us do. But folks, I'd much rather somebody tell me that something's wrong and that be corrected and then get to go to heaven rather than somebody saying, well, let's, let's don't upset him. Let's don't make him angry. Proverbs 28 23, he who rebukes a man will find more favor afterward than he who flatters with the tongue. You see, the problem is sometimes we're so worried about what's going to happen immediately, we don't think about the future. And yes, somebody may be angry with When the Corinthians received Paul's letter in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, it made them sorry. Paul says, I don't regret it, though I did regret it. It was something that had an immediate difficulty with it. Luke 17, 3 and 4 says, Take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. We've got to actually do some of that rebuking. And for me, from my perspective... Listen to 2 Timothy 4, beginning with verse 1. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers after their, or according to their own lust, and they will turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. That's the truth. 
And that's God's Word. The truth is there's nothing more important than saving your soul. In James 5, verse 19, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. But I also want to emphasize and express in concern, we always have to remember the golden rule. You know what the golden rule says? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. You treat somebody like you would want to be treated. Would you want somebody to tell you tonight, if you're going to lose your soul, would you? You may say, no, I I really don't want somebody doing that. But you do. Believe me, when you open your eyes in eternity, as the rich man opened his eyes, you want somebody to tell you the truth. We have to learn to be people with a receptive attitude. All of us do. So that when someone comes to us with some words of correction, how am I going to take it? David said in Psalm 141, verse 5, Let the righteous strike me, it shall be kindness. Let him rebuke me, it shall be as excellent oil. Let not my head refuse it, for still my prayer is against the deeds of the wicked. I need to be the kind of person that when somebody comes to me, I take it as kindness. And really I should. Because if you do, you care. Now do you understand why this is one of my favorite passages? Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? If you need to obey the gospel tonight, and you have faith in Jesus Christ, willing to repent of your sins and confess that faith and be baptized, folks, you've got to do that to go to heaven. There was some way I could come to you personally and look at you straight eye to eye and say, you really need to do this. Would you do it? If you are a Christian and you look at your life and you're saying, he's been preaching to me all through this lesson because he's been trying to tell me I need to change my life and I want you to know we care enough for you that we want you to respond. Would you come while we stand and sing?